Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming for our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So on today's episode, I am really excited. We are going to talk about Native Americans in veterinary medicine. Um, so in the U.S., um, our um, indigenous populations are, are pretty small um, nationally, and specifically within the veterinary profession, um, they're really small. And so the Census Bureau, the U.S. Census Bureau, says that um, American Indians and Alaska Natives make up only about 2% of the U.S. population. Um, and then that data kind of goes further um, when we look at within, specifically within the veterinary workforce, um, and we see about a 0.1 to 0.2 um, representation of Native peoples in the veterinary workforce. So today I want to talk a bit about that disparity and representation as well as some of the other um, veterinary needs in Indian country. So I'm really excited because I'm joined by two wonderful individuals who have taken time out of their very busy schedules um, to uh, chat with me about this today. Um, so Dr. Evelyn Galbin, a clinical assistant professor of neurology and neurosurgery at the University of Pennsylvania's School of Veterinary Medicine, and Dr. Gilbert John, assistant dean for research at the College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences at Colorado State University. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much. So, so um, as is the show's custom, I like to give um, my guests an opportunity to tell us a little bit about themselves and their backgrounds and kind of how they, they got to this place. Um, so, Gilbert, I'm going to start with you. Gilbert is actually on the phone with us um, because technology today. So, so we will make sure that we are really, um, try, that I'll try to be really inclusive and in making sure that um, he is a fully integrated part of this conversation. So Gilbert, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, well, thank you, Lisa. Uh, good morning and good afternoon, depending on where, where we may be. Um, yes, um, a little bit of background regarding who I am. Um, I'm a member of the Navajo Nation. Uh, that's a tribe in the southwest region of uh, the United States. Born and raised, uh, born in a town called Shiprock, New Mexico, which is on the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico. Uh, but but my my uh, home is really uh, in the Four Corners region. So a lot of our um, my growing up and relatives are in not only New Mexico but. Arizona as well as Utah, so the reservation encompasses uh, the three states. Um, my educational background is um, I attended Colorado State University, um, College of Veterinary Medicine, Biomedical Sciences. Uh, I majored in microbiology, graduated from the Department of Microbiology um, in the College of Veterinary Medicine. Um, there I earned my bachelor's degree in microbiology and also my PhD degree in microbiology. And my dissertation work dealt with um, studying the infectious disease associated with um, 
sheep as well as other um, animals um, that uh, suffered foot rot um, caused by bacteria and back then it was called Borrelia burgdorferi. It's now given a different species name. Um, so that's my dissertation uh, related to that. We developed some assays associated with detection of, of this back in the, in the day. It was a very high-tech polymerase chain reaction process that we developed. Um, so it was very state-of-the-art at the time. Like today, PCR is pretty much routine. Um, so it was really beginning stages of the molecular age, I think. So we really, it was an exciting time for me as a graduate student to be involved in um, that aspect of veterinary medicine. And so I then went on to do a few postdocs um, at the Center for Disease Control, Foothills Campus in Fort Collins. Then I went to the University of Arizona College of Pharmacy um, and I did a postdoc there, worked in the area of, of uh, toxicology, uh, used some of my molecular biology expertise and as well as learn a lot of the protein chemistry that, that really allowed me to uh, take a position as assistant professor and up through the tenure ranks at Oklahoma State University. And there I was able to uh, engage in basic research in the area of protein structure function uh, related to uh, proteins and infectious disease. Uh, Put a lot of work into Clostridium propringium, um, which is a common bacteria found in the intestine of humans and animals, and, and really studied the, uh, tried to understand how this protein was critical for survival of microorganisms, uh, which ultimately results in antibiotic resistance and that type of uh, phenomenon. And so I was able to, as a professor there, um, uh, mentor a lot of graduate students as well as uh, there's a veterinary school at Oklahoma State University as well, so was able to also uh, mentor some uh, DVM students, and then was involved in creating lots of programs associated with native students in particular, um, interested in going to uh, the STEM science field and really emphasizing an interest in research. So research has really been a big part of, of what I do, um, so I was able to have in my program um, some of our students. One in particular was a DVM PhD student at Oklahoma State, who's now a assistant professor at Kansas State University, wow. and then lots of graduate students as well that have gone on uh, that are native as well. So very excited, and that was a lot of part of what I did outside of my research was to be able to create training programs. And so within the last year, um, I was really excited to be able to accept the job here at Colorado State University as assistant dean for research. And of course, uh, I continue to do what I'm very excited about, and that is to provide training opportunities for not only our DVM students, but also for our graduate students. And, and so I've been able to um, make some effort into that. And so I have a, a, a really a, a tremendous interest in our vet program. And certainly the topic today is to try to understand why any of our native kids are not pursuing veterinary medicine. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, certainly lots of opinions about that, but uh, certainly um, I can stop there. And <laughs>
Oh, we will get to those. Don't you worry. <laughs> so Evelyn, why don't you give us a, a, a tell us a, a, about your background, where you're from and uh, how you got here. Sure. Um, so I am Washoe and Paiute from the Nevada and California area um, in the Western United States. Um, I grew up in both Reno, Nevada, and also in Rochester, New York, so upstate New York. Um, and because of the location of my family in Rochester, I decided to attend Cornell University. Um, I did undergraduate there. My master's was also there in wildlife science. Um, I had a really strong interest in wildlife and zoo, um, animal health and, um, management. Um, the um, topic of my um, thesis was an emerging disease in birds in the southeast United States um, called avian vacuolar myelopathy. Um, after that, I sort of used the master's program as a sort of jumping off point to help me to get into veterinary school. Um, I was someone who decided to go to veterinary medicine very late in my undergraduate career, and so I um, didn't have the right um, requirements down, and I didn't have quite the right mix of um, things on my application. You know, as a senior in undergraduate work, um, I really needed to work on, on changing those. So the master's degree was helpful in that. And then I uh, went to Cornell University for my veterinary degree. Um, after that, I did an internship in uh, New Jersey at Red Bank Veterinary Hospital. It's a very large private practice. Um, and then I came to the University of Pennsylvania for my residency um, in neurology and neurosurgery. So I was swayed away from wildlife and zoo medicine, uh, which I'll sort of be returning back to now that I'm in a place where I can do some more research. Um, but um, I completed the residency and became boarded um, in neurology and neurosurgery. Um, I went into private practice for a very brief while um, and decided that it was really missing what I uh, just love to do, and that is to engage with students and to um, help everyone, you know, in our section to really um, push the limits of what we know and, and what we can do. So I returned to the University of Pennsylvania um, as a clinical instructor. Um, where I am now, and I uh, became the chief of our service, as well as the director of all of the um, house officers, which are the interns and the residents here at the university. Wow, wonderful, great. Thank you both for taking time out um, to join me today to, to chat about this topic. So why don't we dive right in? So um, Native and Indigenous students and professionals are really a small percentage of um, the veterinary profession. Why? <laughs> Certainly we know that the, the population base is small, right? So we know that, but um, why, what, what are some of those challenges to recruiting more Native students into veterinary medicine? And I'll, I'll ask Gilbert to weigh in first, since I know he said he had a lot of opinions on this. <laughs> well, well the, the answer really is very complex. Um, I know I can speak fairly uh, accurately regarding our tribe. Of course, there are over 500 recognized federal tribes in the country, and many of them are different in mm -hmm. any way from language to, to subtle cultural differences. So I can't speak, you know, as a whole, sure. but for our tribe, what I can say is that 
Um, it is still a challenge. You know, if I compare uh, data on how we are doing as far as recruiting and uh, graduating Navajo veterinarians um, 10, 15 years ago compared to the last five years, I think we're doing better. So there is, there is an upward slope improvement occurring within our tribe as far as um, improving those numbers. Mm -hmm. So, but the challenge is this, is, as I said, was complex. I think it's, it's a lot of um, cultural challenges, academic challenges that I think really play a role. Um, because Navajo, if you think about it, we, we're large in number, but we're also very strong culturally. So yeah. the language is still spoken uh, by a high percentage of, of, of adults, um, uh, mid-adults mid and, and, and the younger generation as well, even though there seems to be challenges there, but a lot of the younger kids um, really are seem to have a more positive uh, approach toward learning the language. So it's, it's a spoken language, and as a result of that, there's a lot of uh, learning that occurs based on that, that language. Mm. And a lot of it's uh, cultural, specifically um, spiritual, ceremonial. So what you have is, is that concept associated with um, how, how they live and interact with animals. Mm. And there's, there's, depending on the animal, um, there's levels of restrictions that are associated with what, what you can and cannot do. And so that's ingrained in, in, the, in the generation as they're growing up, mm -hmm. understanding how we treat animals. And so that is clearly different than, than what's in the European American philosophy of animals, particularly today in terms of pets. You know, how you, how pets are really family. Yeah. To the sense, in the sense that they're in the house, in your bed, <laughs> I mean, literally, you know, Guilty. at the table. <laughs> you share that. I mean, it's that close of an interaction, and that is certainly not not culturally what Navajos uh, see uh, the role of animals. Um, so, so that's you know just one example sure. where there's there's some challenges, and then secondly, academically, I think. Um, that's changed a lot. The challenges of being able to do well on standardized tests, so they do well, uh, their grades in college, that reflects their being competitive in terms of the application. But I think that uh, veterinary colleges are, are are really making an effort to be able to um, recognize individuals beyond just standardized tests. Uh, here at, at Colorado State University, we, and, and a lot of the schools are like this. They have a uh, uh, an MMI or a mm -hmm. any multiple exam approach toward looking at the holistic approach for a student. And that, yeah. I think, in a lot of ways provides opportunities for students to really make up that difference. So Native kids in particular, um, if they happen to not have the grades that, that make them competitive, that interview process might really allow them to to perform well and get that acceptance. So that information is not really made available mm -hmm. to students. Mm -hmm. So I think what they what they're thinking is that the challenges of getting into any any professional school, uh, veterinary school in particular, is that uh, it's almost impossible if you don't excel academically. Um, but then 
that knowledge of colleges having this new approach, holistic approach to accepting students. I don't think they really, that information is, is available, in, at least in my mind, enough that it would really result in a positive impact for students to say, hey, I think I might pursue that and, and I think I would be competitive because I know I don't have a 4.0, but the fact that they do accept students based on this other evaluation process, I think that would really improve the application numbers as well. So I think that's another challenge, but I think the word is, is starting to, to get out sure, um, sure. to schools, individuals that um, are interested in applying to veterinary medicine. Sure, sure. I know that at AAVMC and, and certainly a lot of um, our member institutions are really embracing holistic review and kind of really trying to look more broadly at kind of, you know, what the student um, brings to the table, not just in terms of grades and, and test scores. Certainly we want them to be academically successful, but we recognize that there's more to, to it than that. So um, Evelyn, what do you have to add? What kinds of challenges do you see? Right, so I mean, I can think about my experience in applying for veterinary school, and I can say that um, when I was looking for um, someone to give me advice, and I was looking for um, a native veterinarian out there, um, I couldn't find one. There was there wasn't a real resource for me to do that, and so I used other organizations like American Indian Physicians Association and the American Indian Science and Engineering Society to try to help me and mentor me in the things that I was missing or needed to do. Um, but there wasn't anything specifically for veterinary medicine, which I think is important. Um, not only an organization, but just, you know, a local mentor who was a veterinarian. You know, we, we don't have that right now. And so it's, it's hard to, you know, just find someone and speak to someone who's very similar to you. Um, I think that in terms of, you know, when you speak to young um, young children, when you when you when they picture what a veterinarian does, they picture a veterinarian who, you know, gives shots to their pets. Um, right. But they don't think about all the things that veterinarians really do: public policy, public health, wildlife management, research, and all the realms of research. Um, and so, I think there's a sort of maybe a narrow view in some people's minds of what a veterinarian does. And I think that probably needs to be a little bit expanded. Um, I think that there's also, you know, there are so many needs across the country as well as in Indian country and those needs are really vast. And so if there is a student who is looking for health science, um, you know, as a future career, I think they may be drawn to some of the other careers that, maybe is is perceived as a greater need. So human medicine is a huge need. So they think about that or pharmacy or dentistry um, and veterinary medicine is sort of competing for the students who have those interests. Right. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot more to it for sure. sure. It's what a really complex is, issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so you mentioned a couple of, of groups, and certainly I know that you are kind of um, the force behind uh, the Facebook group, <laughs> Native Americans and uh, the Native American Veterinary Medical Association. Yeah. Um, yep. Native American Veterinary Association. Association on Facebook, so folks be able to be you know check that out. Um, but what do you think? You know, colleges as well as as professionals in general. What do you think we should be doing? Um, to kind of cultivate more interest and um, certainly being sensitive to some of the 
um, the social cultural issues that um, Gilbert um, discussed earlier, you, what, what should we be doing? Where should we be recruiting? Who should we be talking to? Sure. So I think some of the larger groups like uh, ACES, the American Indian Science and Engineering Society, or SACNES, the Society for the Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science, they are really doing an awesome job at cultivating um, and mentoring young Native people who have interest in, in the STEM or health sciences. And we can piggyback with them because they're creating a, a perfect environment to go do the outreach, teach these students, you know, what what what's out there and what's available in veterinary medicine. Um, so I think that absolutely we should be extending ourselves and going to those national conferences that happen every year um, and some of the smaller leadership groups that they then um, also have in regions so that we're spreading even closer to where Native people are and closer to home for them. Sure, sure. I um, I have not been to the ACES meeting. I do attend SACNAS every year, and I tell people it's one of my favorite meetings of the year, um, and for so many reasons. One, the students are amazing <laughs> at SACNAS. I'm like, you know, I hardly have a student that comes to the table to talk to me who isn't kind of already envisioning um, a dual degree program, like, which is just amazing to kind of talk mm -hmm. to, to students who are just primed and ready. There's great mentorship. There's all kinds of things. But in all of the years that I've been, you know, I've only had like one veterinary student. And that was a couple of years ago. And she was there presenting her summer research program um, project. And, um, you know, certainly a number of our schools are, are present there recruiting, but certainly not enough. There's, there's, I mean, 4,000 students that are just amazeballs. So, <laughs> like, and I also tell people that if you're ever curious about um, how a scientific meeting can also be culturally relevant and sensitive, this is the meeting to go to because it do, it's done so amazingly well. So, um, so Gilbert, what do you think we should be doing? Um, you know, I agree with Evelyn. I think that's that's absolutely necessary. Another uh, possibility would be um, the literature. You know, doesn't there's not a lot of information um, regarding the issue of Native Americans in veterinary medicine, but but there's one or two that are out there that I think are really good. So people that are interested in, in reading articles related to um, this issue, I think um, that would be something that I would try to encourage um, professionals, particularly faculty in the veterinary colleges to, to really take a look at and read that I think begins to help them understand the challenges Native Americans have. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to promote this particular article necessarily because I don't know who they are, but I, I had a chance to read it. And it's really quite nice. It's called Native American Tribal Cultures, Implications for Veterinary Medicine Education. Um, the author is Gilbert. Um, they're from um, so anyway, that that one I think would be a really uh, informative as well as other articles as well. So I think that um, that's one way in which not only students but but um, everybody um, interested in learning in the, the challenges and thinking about what we can do.
to provide uh, more information and as well as opportunities for the students. I think that's, that would be one way to take advantage of this. So these are all available online. Of course, the, the uh, access to the internet is one way in which a lot of people learn sure. access information. So I think that would be uh, a one way to do it because part of the challenge is, is recruiting and so it's almost impossible physically for people to be and all of these cases. Um, but if you can sit in front of the computer and have available to you information like that, I think that would, uh, as an educator, as a potential student interested in the field, I think it would really provide some opportunities for for them to consider pursuing this as a career in the future. All right. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with that article. I think it's in JVME Journal of Veterinary Medical Education, and uh, so we'll post a we'll post a link to that because um, okay. it is a it is a nicely done article. It gives some really um, good and important um, you know considerations and things to for, that educators should should be at least mindful of. So um, so you know the needs, and both of you have alluded to this um, in, earlier in the show, but the needs um, across Indian country are vast, and certainly um, each of you can only kind of speak to, to bits and, and pieces. But um, you know, I'm kind of curious on what are some of the, the veterinary needs among um, Native populations? We, it's not something that I think we hear a lot about. Certainly we talk, um, um, you know, in the economics of the profession, Certainly, there's a lot of discussion about underserved areas, access to veterinary care, um, and um, you know whether or not there are positions that are open. I think that probably one of the few areas that um, got a lot of press last year was um, with the the DAP piece and horses um, and the treatment of horses um, during um, the standoff <laughs> situation with the pipeline, um, I guess that was a little over a year ago now. So, um, you know, what what do you both see as some of the the, the big needs um, across Indian country, which is really across the U.S.? So, Evelyn? <laughs> um, well, I think as um, Gilbert referred, you know, to earlier, Indian country is, is just dramatically different in every region and every nation. So, um, you know, the needs up in the Northeast and closer to New York are completely different from those in Nevada. So, for instance, you know, the tribes in northern New York, are you're, they're dealing with ways to manage fisheries and fish health. Um, and in Nevada, we're talking about ranching and um, herd health and herd management. Um, and so each area is so dramatically different, um, you know, and that doesn't, um, we sort of, there's always a lot of jokes also about um, dogs and how uh, there's a lot of dogs who are roaming um, in some regions and, and, you know, what can we do for them? And, and um, then of course, there's also pets as well. So there's, I see it as a, a sort of just dramatic uh, differences in needs. Mm-hmm. Gilbert? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I know the Navajo Nation, um, if you think about the land base, this, this is a, mm. a reservation that's over 17 million acres, you know, that spans three states. So it's a large land it's base. Huge. And over 200,000 uh, Navajos live throughout the reservation. So it's, it's a rural environment. So 
in, in that there's a very high percentage of agriculture. Uh, they all have ownership of sheep, cows, and horses. And so that's, and they're not large ranches by any stretch, but we're talking maybe on average, every family has probably uh, maybe 30 sheep. Um, and so mm. there's not a lot of uh, huge agriculture, but there is a lot in terms of just collectively think about it, there's a lot of livestock on the reservation. So the, one of the challenges is, you know, how do you care for these? Because number one, it's very difficult for families based on their their, their economic uh, status to be able to afford to take their animals to the surrounding. Uh, and Navajo has increased the number of locations for uh, animals to be treated. Um, and so, but there's still, it's still a relatively long distance for them to travel. We're talking 20, 30 miles. Wow. Um, for, for them just to get to the nearest clinic to be able to get their annual vaccination. So anyway, my point is maybe, uh, and they have this been limited, tried limited on a limited basis, mobile veterinary services, where the, they actually go out to um, homes um, and try to do it that way. Because it's very costly. I think one of the challenges behind the veterinary mobile um, unit that they created um, is, is financially being able to support that. But I think as far as um, the, the population really appreciated that because, again, it took out the, the factor of having to uh, transport their animals mm. and be simply having them come there. So I think if we can increase that, I think that would really improve um, the need for, uh, you know, the families being sure. able to afford to, to have good health care for the for good animal care for their animals. So far more, far more mobile units that are able to cover, um, yeah, move the veterinarian, not the animals. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so at the, at the, the situation that we, we are in now in terms of um, both in terms of our student representation as well as professional representation, we think about these vast needs across the country. What we end up having um, or recognizing is that there are lots of non-native students that will be, you know, in areas trying to um, work in communities and trying to meet some of these needs. Um, well, you know, what are some of those culturally competent, nuanced things that that they really need to be taught along the way and working with different communities, um, particularly in Native communities and recognizing that there are so many different tribes with so many different kind of um, nuanced cultures and languages and all of those types of things. But for students that are really interested in working in these communities, what are some of the things that they need to know? Gilbert? Well, we, we have, um, for our veterinary students, externships, and they go to a lot of locations. And one of them that we've been doing the last few years is some of our faculty go with um, some of our veterinary students to a uh, location on the reservation. It's a, it's a college called um, Navajo Technical University, mm -hmm. better known as NTU. They have there, it's run by Dr. Day. Um, who's a Navajo female veterinarian who graduated from Colorado State University. She's faculty there and she also um, is the head of a, a veterinary tech program as well as they run a, uh, an active clinic in, in, at the university. So uh, what, what we've been able to do is, is have some of our students and faculty 
um, participate in externships, which is part of the curriculum here for our fourth year students. They go down and spend a couple weeks um, assisting um, Dr. Day, and, and they can, a lot of the activities range from equine services that they have annually to um, cattle uh, uh, health surveys. And so they work not only with clinic, but a lot of times Dr. Day will, will have a number of other agencies, the USDA, mm -hmm. um, the New Mexico Department of Health. With all, so, so the students really get a good sense of, of all of these people involved in, in animal health care. And then they actually are involved in, in assisting with, with some surgeries, castration, uh, that type of thing. So it's, it's a terrific opportunity where the students here are really uh, beginning to learn about these opportunities. And, then, and we always sure. have lots of students and we always have to select um, um, once they go down. So that's an opportunity that I think is growing here at our university for them to uh, really, you know, get excited about sure. rural veterinary medicine because that's a challenge too. Sure. So LM being on the East Coast where things are a bit different, um, and you're at a private institution, which certainly does serve, you know, um, the, the larger community. Um, do you have those kinds of externship opportunities or how might, um, how might you pen, um, do this? But also, what are some of your recommendations for, um, your colleagues at other institutions? Sure. Um, so we don't, um, we, we actually can send our students on externships, certainly with, um, sort of, uh, groups that have already sort of set up. Um, trips to uh, rural areas or um, reservations. Um, I actually have a few colleagues who um, I met at Red Bank Veterinary Hospital, but they uh, have since moved on. Um, and they also, um, uh, they're veterinary technicians and nurses, and they take these annual trips um, to the rural areas to provide care. And um, I think that they've actually taught me a lot about you know, taking students who may not have um, been to a, a location like that before and how amazed people sometimes are at the, the difference um, in lifestyle um, and the differences in culture. Um, and I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give to a student who's going into an environment is, is the same I give to, um, you know, veterinary students going into the clinic room for the first time, and that is to listen and listen, listen, listen to the person who's coming to see you because there's so much you can learn just from you know being very open and and just listening to what they have to say and to share with you same thing as looking at your patient they have a lot to share with you you just have to listen and observe yeah that's great advice um i will definitely i'll offer another piece of advice for all students you know and i think it is certainly going into clinics but especially going into areas where they're totally, it, it's kind of almost totally foreign to the student. They maybe never have gone to that type of place before. And, um, and to both of your points, um, there's different lifestyle um, um, things, different culture. Um, journal. Keep a journal during those periods um, because sometimes you're going to miss a bunch because you're just, <laughs> you know, or you're, you're just going, going, going. But taking, you know, a few minutes um, every day or a couple of times a week to reflect and, and journal about your experiences is really going to give you that opportunity to kind of think about some of the, frankly, non-clinical um, things that are kind of going on almost in the background operating system of your experience. Um, and those are, are really great um, learning opportunities as well. So 
Um, so what else do you want your colleagues to know about Native Americans and veterinary medicine? I know that's a really broad, broad question, but um, that's my question. What, what do you want us to know? Um, and how can we be good allies? How, how can um, non-Native peoples be really good allies? Gilbert? Um, well, first of all, I, I do want to add a little bit about the, the question that we just uh, addressed. Sure. And, and that is, students also should know, and this is something that I've been really pushing, because it's, it's a fairly new concept, at least with, with our externships, is that the students can think about the, the trips as not only a clinical experience, but also a potential future research experience. Oh, yeah, sure. So uh, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for for our students to think about uh, pursuing some of the more uh, uh, types of diseases that are more prone to, to this area. Um, and so that's something that uh, I've been working on and, mm. and hopefully we can uh, create a program in the future where students, uh, because a lot of our students are one-year masters, they'll learn a master's degree while they're in the DBM program. Mm. And some of them are PhD as well. So these are, I think, potential areas of research that really could be exciting for them if they, if they want to do that. So just wanted to say that. Um, but as far as just what I would like people to know, I think um, as far as um, a lot of the cultural aspects of Native culture, again, you know, animals, at least in the Navajo culture, you know, there's a place for them. And it's, it's not always the same type of place in which we, uh, as American, European Americans, you know, view animals. So there's a big difference. And so I think a lot of the, the things that, that are interesting to, to learn is that, you know, when you're treating uh, an animal for, for from a Navajo family, that, you know, it's really important for them to understand um, what you're recommending, particularly surgery, for example. Mm -hmm. that, that's a big issue, you know, being able to cut an animal, a dog specifically. Uh, a dog has a role. You know, you know, are you going to be, you know, given permission, or do they understand, you know, that you're going to castrate mm. or neuter? Uh, it's a big deal, and sure, because sure. it goes against against a lot of what they believe, and and there's a purpose and a reason to do things. So that's that's something you know they would have to think about before they actually just assume, you know, okay, you know, let's let's take care of that, and, you know, we're done. And I think. That contributes to one of the big problems. Evelyn mentioned it. We kind of smile about it, but but the the uh, population mm. of dogs, dogs. on reservation is just rampant. I mean, yeah. Ownership and being able to to, to reduce those, um, and then the transmission of disease. I mean, it's just we're reaching a an, almost an epidemic where it, it, it can really uh, begin to impact public health so mm. it's, it's, it's something that's very serious and so for them to pursue it uh from the standpoint of veterinary um engaging in in, in neuter uh, phase mm -hmm. that type of thing really really important educational thing for them to understand so that that's i think is important to know um as far as animals and then yeah. certain, certain animals are forbidden uh like the snake in our in our you know, oh, absolutely. Wow. You bring a snake uh, to a veterinarian, um, uh, or if you're in a veterinary clinic and somebody brings in a snake, I mean, 
they likely will not have their animal be part of that. So, oh, wow. it's, so they're just little things that yeah. I think just educating future students that want to be uh, clinicians or that current faculty that want to work with Native people uh, on the Navajo Reservation. There are things like that that are really clearly strong and still cultural things that, that you know, if you understand those, I think it makes the relationship with, with the client much better. Yeah. So uh, students and professionals, um, do your homework, <laughs> learn about culture, um, learn about traditions. Um, and uh, Gilbert, I want to see some of those students um, giving abstracts and oral presentations at SACNES. <laughs> I want to see them at SACNES and I want to see them at Manners and ACES as well. <laughs> For sure. So uh, Evelyn, what would you like people to know? Um, I think most of all, I think we should, um, I'm just going to do a little self-promotion here for our or association. Um, I'd love to increase the membership in terms of at both allies and native, um, either uh, uh, current students or future students. Um, we really just need to sort of get the word out that there is an organization and there is mentorship waiting to help people um, as they, you know, potentially pursue group veterinary medicine. Um, I think it's also important, in, you, you know, you asked about how can we be good allies. Um, there's many instances in your, in at least in my um, learning, uh, where there were some things in our lectures that, that were not culturally sensitive. So, um, you know, to take the opportunity to look at your lecture, and ask yourself, is it culturally appropriate? Are all of the images that you're showing appropriate? Where are they, you know, inclusive? Are they potentially going to offend someone? And if it is, if it's a, you know, anything from a mascot to just a cartoon, mm. just leave it out, leave it out. <laughs> um, you don't want to alienate anybody. And then lastly, I think we should include um, good information about, um, you know, Native people, Native culture, Native beliefs, um, and, you know, think about ways we can sort of provide that little extra in terms of teaching our students. So, for instance, I'm currently looking at um, giving uh, just a lecture right now, but potentially a course in uh, sort of ethno-veterinary medicine and to okay. veterinary medicine through history, at least in the United States. That's really cool. So we might have to have you back to come and talk about that um, at a future date. Um, but that's, um, yeah, it's really important. Um, so so students, professionals, everybody's got to do their homework <laughs> and really kind of take some time to learn, um, take a take a pause and, and make sure that what we're saying and doing um, is um, culturally appropriate um, and, uh, um, you know, yeah. So thank you so much. Um, Evelyn, where can they find you again on uh, Facebook? So it's Native American Veterinary Association, and it's a closed group, but it's basically I'm uh, <laughs> giving everybody permission to join, um, but it's just closed so that we can sort of maintain the veterinary aspect of things. Sure. Uh, so yeah, find me there. If you can't find that, you can absolutely email me through the university. That's fine. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, um, Gilbert, I am uh, uh, I'm so glad that we were able to make this uh, technology <laughs> work. Yeah, I apologize for not being able to be on video. I, 
Louisa, can I say one more thing? Absolutely. Uh, what I would like my colleagues to know is yes. more of a, a positive rather than a limitation. Sure. Um, but this is the, the Navajo tribe um, for many years has had a, a moratorium on genetic research. Mm. And so they recently have um, revisited that, and there's a lot of enthusiasm to change that and to modify their genetic research policy um, to be able to do research, genetic research on the reservation. Oh, wow. So it, it started with human research, but it's, it's expanded into um, animal research as well. So they uh, asked me to be involved in that that aspect. So the future really for Navajo Nation is this, is that any genetic research that uh, will happen on the reservation related to animals, I think is very positive. I think there's opportunities there for us to understand uh, not only the the, uh, the ability of our of, of livestock to survive in those conditions and be resistant to certain diseases. Um, I think genetically to understand that, I think the potential is there. So this is something that colleagues can think about uh, if they're wondering, you know, can genetic animal research even be done? Um, with native tribes in this country, the answer would be absolutely yes. The Navajo Nation, I think, is on the forefront of developing this policy and having this as a, as a future, because certainly uh, that area is wide open in terms sure. of what we can do. Lots of challenges, of course, but absolutely, I think the door is open, and I think the Navajo tribe is really in a great position to be able to, to pursue that and, and benefit from that as well. All right. Thank you. So there you have it. There's um, great research, genetic research opportunities with the Navajo Nation. So uh, get on that, researchers. So I want to thank you both for taking time out of your very, very busy schedules. I'm sure that um, your uh, uh, Colorado State and UPenn are eager to get you back to doing whatever it is <laughs> that you both do. I am so glad. Thank you so much. Um, this has been this show has been a long time in the making. Thank you so much for your patience and um, pulling it together. I really, really appreciate you taking this time. So absolutely. Well, thank you for inviting. Sure. So with that, we will wrap another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Uh, be sure to check out our Facebook page, Diversity and Inclusion on Air, um, and uh, learn more about these topics. Um, we'll post resources there. <clears throat> and uh, be sure to check out um, previous episodes of the podcast there, both video and audio, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing us in your feeds for your podcast feeds on iTunes, Stitcher, and your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much, and we will see you next time. Thank you.